It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, September 19th. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. California alleges grocery chain giant Safeway has been violating state environmental laws for years. A closer look on the California report. Then National Native News takes us back to the 1973 Academy Awards, where actor and activist Sashin Littlefeather declined the Best Actor Award on behalf of Marlon Brando. But it seems the Academy has a much different reaction to the event now in 2022. Thanks to this rain, our air quality is much better. So we'll take a walk in the park with Sid Brown from the Sierra Gold Parks Foundation after local news and weather. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. Today is the start of the first work week to see many unvaccinated state workers not have to regularly test for the coronavirus. KCRW's Matt Gillum has details on what's behind the policy change. Since July of 2021, unvaccinated state employees and those who declined to share their COVID vaccination status have been required to submit to weekly testing. Not anymore, says a memo from the California Human Resources Department. With recent changes in COVID guidelines at the federal level, the state is adjusting its policy. Given how highly contagious the Omicron strains of the virus are, even among the vaccinated, the CDC recently withdrew its recommendation that the virus be screened for in general community settings. California's Department of Public Health followed suit, amending its guidance for both state employees and all other unvaccinated workers in many situations. While most unvaccinated workers will no longer have to regularly test for COVID, state employees in high-risk or healthcare settings must still be routinely screened. Recent Cal HR data shows about a fifth of state workers remain unvaccinated. For the California Report, I'm Matt Gillum. There's been huge progress in the fight against the mosquito fire burning in the Sierra foothills. And Cal Fire's Jonathan Panberg says this weekend's wet weather has been a huge help. The rain, of course, is going to keep the fire relatively in place where it is. We're not expecting any rapid growth. In fact, we're not expecting any real growth of the perimeter at all right now. The fire has now burned more than 76,000 acres, but is 38 percent contained. And several evacuation orders in Placer and El Dorado counties have been lifted. In other news, Safeway has agreed to pay $8 million to settle allegations that the company violated state environmental laws for gasoline storage. That's after an investigation found storage tank systems under Safeway's California gas stations have failed to comply with spill prevention and safety measures since at least March 2015. Attorney General Rob Bonta and district attorneys from five counties, including Contra Costa and Solano, announced the settlement Friday. Bonta says that California's strict regulations are there to prevent gas and oil leaks from contaminating soil and groundwater. Just one gallon of spilled gasoline can contaminate up to one million gallons of groundwater. Just one pinprick-sized hole in an underground storage tank can leak 400 gallons of fuel per year. Under the terms of the settlement, Safeway is required to hire an environmental compliance manager and submit yearly reports to the California Department of Justice. And finally, open agricultural burning is due to be phased out by 2025 in an effort to reduce harmful emissions. But many farmers are apprehensive of a future without burning. 
As part of a new KVPR series called When the Smoke Clears, reporters Monica Vaughn and Carrie Klein visited farms outside Fresno to understand why. I'm Carrie, a health and science reporter at KVPR. And I met Christopher Frith at his farm near Carruthers. This is the northernmost part of our ranch here at the Walnuts. And then Frith manages a thousand acres of walnuts, almonds, and grapes. He told me he could hardly believe it when he learned that ag burning would soon be banned. What was your immediate reaction? Um, what are we going to do now? Uh, how much more is it going to cost us? For years, burning has helped him manage prunings, limbs lost to storms, and unproductive trees that need replacing. Throughout the valley, growers burn hundreds of thousands of tons of trees and vines each year. It's all about sanitation in a field. But all that burning, it releases harmful particulate matter into the air. I'm Monica, a community engagement reporter in the valley. And that's why air regulators plan to ban ag burning almost entirely by 2025. Here's Michael Benjamin of the State Air Resources Board. I think we're looking at about an 80 to 90 percent reduction in the valley. So how do they plan to do it? Instead of burning, they're going to recycle. 40 miles away, near Firebaugh, massive orange machines hum across a field. Brian Milne is with ag services company HM Holloway. It's like playing with Tonka trucks and tractors. These excavators, loaders, and chippers are clearing out 600 acres of almond trees, grinding them into sawdust to be reincorporated into the soil. This practice is called whole orchard recycling. And it's the primary alternative to ag burning being pushed by air regulators. One of the most powerful ag lobbies has already embraced it, the almond industry, which manages 1.6 million acres of farmland and billions in annual profits. Here's Aubrey Betancourt of the Almond Alliance of California. We're trying to lean in and be leaders here, and we've been really happy that our producers have been too. Air regulators are offering cash too. $220 million in grants for growers who adopt orchard recycling. But even with incentives, growers tell us making the switch isn't easy. It's pricey, especially for small farmers. That's something Todd DeYoung of the San Joaquin Valley Air District acknowledges. The small ag operations um, do have a, a little bit more of a challenge. We have instituted higher incentives for those small ag operations. And yet, our reporting shows that the Valley Air District has given only a fraction of its funding to the small farmers that make up a majority of the industry. Growers also tell us about long wait times for contractors. And many worry all that heavy equipment still pollutes the air. Air regulators say yes, it does, but far less than burning. Despite his reservations, Christopher Frith plans to follow the rules. He intends to recycle his almond orchard when it ages out of productivity in a few years. We're going to have to, either that or we're going to become outlaws. By that, he means burning illegally, something he claims other growers have already started doing. For the California Report, I'm Carrie Klein. And I'm Monica Vaughn. This is part of the series When the Smoke Clears, produced with the support of the USC Annenberg Center for Health Journalism Impact Fund. You can find the whole series at kvpr.org. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford HealthCare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now's the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org. Personal Capital. 
providing people with financial tools like the Retirement Planner to help them achieve their financial goals, personalcapital.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute. Coming this fall, the launch of research vessel FALCOR-2, advancing the frontiers of ocean science and exploration on the web at schmidtocean.org. And that's the California Report for Monday, September 19th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Tonight, National Native News takes us out to the movies. The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences revisits its response to actor and activist Sasheen Littlefeather's 1973 Oscar speech on behalf of Marlon Brando. This and more coming up. For National Native News, I'm Daniel Montano in for Antonia Gonzalez. Washington State's most populous county is getting ready to pay more than $5 million to settle a lawsuit threatened by the Suquamish tribe over more than 6 million gallons of sewage spilled into the Puget Sound. The Seattle Times reports the tribe filed an intent to sue in 2020, documenting almost a dozen times sewage overflowed from the West Point treatment plant in Seattle over 2018 and 19. The proposed settlement includes a timeline for almost $600 million in improvements to the plant, including new pipes, pumps, batteries, and other power supplies to keep pumps running in the event of a power outage. The spills generally happen during foul weather or blackouts. About half of the $5 million will go to a mitigation fund held by the tribe. The other half will go toward a new environmental project of the county's choosing, and the county will pay $240,000 of the tribe's legal fees. The proposed settlement, which was discussed and agreed to by the tribe and county officials earlier this year, passed the county's environment committee on Thursday and goes to full council for a vote as early as later this month. Actor and activist Sasheen Littlefeather formally accepted an apology by officials at the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. The event at the Academy Museum comes nearly 50 years after she was booed and professionally boycotted for her speech during the 1973 Oscar Awards broadcast on behalf of Marlon Brando declining his award for Best Actor. Casting director and former president of the Academy, David Rubin, read from a letter of apology first presented to Littlefeather in June. For too long, the courage you showed has been unacknowledged. For this, we offer both our deepest apologies and our sincere admiration. Rubin said the Academy is at an inflection point for inclusion and representation. Littlefeather's 1973 speech called attention to the ongoing conflict at Wounded Knee, South Dakota, and called out the poor representation of Native people in popular media. At the recent event, Littlefeather said she understood the gravity of her role that night. I was representing all Indigenous voices out there, all Indigenous people, because we have never been heard in that way before. And if I had to pay the price of admission, then that was okay, because those doors had to be open. Billed as a healing event, her appearance included a discussion with producer Bird Runningwater, the co-chair of the Academy's Indigenous Alliance and former head of the Sundance Institute's Native Lab. The Mandan, Hidatsa, and Arikara Nation is fighting for mineral rights against the state of North Dakota. 
North Dakota has reaffirmed an ownership claim over the bed of the Missouri River as it flows through Fort Berthold Indian Reservation, the home of MHA Nation, despite legal and historical precedent, and a memo from the U.S. Department of Interior that confirms tribal ownership. Inforum News reports that more than $115 million is at stake in oil and gas royalties. The dispute is pending before a U.S. District Court judge in a lawsuit filed by the tribe after the Trump administration reversed decades of federal policy, recognizing the tribe's ownership in a series of legal decisions going back to 1936 and two treaties from 1825 and 1851. The Biden administration reversed that Trump order back in February of this year, and the tribe has been trying to get a full accounting of royalties owed ever since. But the state solicitor general wrote a letter to oil and gas producers claiming ownership based on the Constitution's equal footing doctrine, which declares a state holds ownership of navigable waters within its boundaries. For National Native News, I'm Daniel Montano. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Vision Maker Media's ninth biennial Vision Maker Film Festival, celebrating together. The Vision Maker Film Festival will present five weeks of indigenous films at visionmakermedia.org, October 10th to November 11th, 2022. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Now let's take a look at today's regional news. The current storm in much of our listening area has helped tame the mosquito fire and boost containment efforts, allowing roughly 3,000 people to return home after more than a week of being displaced by mandatory evacuations. But more than 8,000 residents of El Dorado and Placer counties remained under evacuation orders as of this morning due to the blaze, which sparked September 6th near Oxbow Reservoir in Placer County and has grown to become California's largest wildfire of 2022. Evacuation orders have been lifted for the El Dorado County community of Georgetown, and lifted or reduced from mandatory orders to warnings. For portions of Placer County on the western side of the fire, including parts of Todd Valley, This morning, CAL FIRE and the U.S. Forest Service reported that the fire had burned 76,290 acres, or 119 square miles, and was 39% contained. This reported by the Sacramento Bee. Turning our attention to your local weather forecast from the National Weather Service and air quality data from purpleair.com. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, showers and possible thunderstorms with a low around 49. Patchy fog between midnight and 3 a.m. Tuesday, mostly cloudy with a high near 65 a chance of showers and thunderstorms in the morning and afternoon. Current air quality is good with an AQI of 28. The National Weather Service has issued a flash flood watch for the Mosquito Fire burn scar through Tuesday evening. Ash and debris flows caused by showers and thunderstorms over the Mosquito Fire burn scar could lead to flash flooding. Residents near the burn scar should prepare for this potential flooding. 
Areas with steep terrain will have a greater risk for ash and debris flow. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight mostly clear with a low around 38. Showers are likely with possible thunderstorms. Tuesday, mostly cloudy with a high near 53. Showers are likely with possible thunderstorms and snow above 9,000 feet. The current air quality is good with an AQI average of 33. The National Weather Service has issued a special weather statement for the Truckee Tahoe region through Wednesday. An early season storm brings well below normal temperatures with daytime temperatures 10 to 20 degrees below average. One to two inches of rainfall is possible for the northern and northeast Sierra. Overnight lows could drop into the 20s in colder Sierra valleys, with typically colder spots in western Nevada dipping to near freezing. While snow will be limited to areas mainly above 9,000 feet, keep in mind travel can still be impacted by wet roads and lowered visibility. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight mostly cloudy with a low around 61. Showers are likely with possible thunderstorms, 70% chance of precipitation. Tuesday, mostly cloudy with a high near 74 and a 50% chance of showers. Current air quality is good with an AQI average of 24. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. In the shadow of the Mosquito Fire, Nevada County's state parks are holding their breath, hoping to make it out of fire season with no new starts. Sid Brown from the Sierra Gold Parks Foundation is here with some practical reminders of how to help see the state parks safely through this turbulent time. Join us for a walk in the park. We are woefully aware and concerned about the impacts of fire, even though it's September and fall is in the air. As we all know right now, we're experiencing the effects in our air quality due to due to a fire. The cause is not yet known, but fire can be started by natural causes as well. So please remember there is an absolute ban on Forest Service lands and um, on state park system lands for wood and charcoal fires. So even in picnic areas or um, barbecue grills um, on public lands, that is an absolute prohibition until November 1st or until rescinded by the powers that be. So that is up to date. There is a super district-wide superintendent order from state parks dated September 10th that wood and charcoal fires are prohibited at Empire Mine State Historic Park. South Yuba River State Park, and Malakoff Diggins State Historic Park. And I believe that's the case also up in the Tahoe Parks. So no fires. There's been problems with accessing emergency access at the various river crossings during hot summer days, which seem oh so long ago right now as we're uh, experiencing some welcome relief for the temperatures and the weather But please uh, remember, um, do not park where there's prohibitions and when there's no space for parking, there are red lines painted on the roads. And if you park in that, that is considered a fire lane. And I know that there have been tows and there have been very painful fines associated with that. 
Um, as the weather cools, I think crowding at the river is less of an issue right now, but um, we are known for wonderful, warm autumn days. So the rules that applied in the middle of the summer, they apply still now. Okay, well, I've got some good things to say. Um, you know, I went away for a few days, and when I came back, I was astonished at the the change in the fall color on the black oaks. So fall colors are starting already, which is wonderful to see. And at Empire Mine State Historic Park, we do have garden tours, and the theme for the month of September is fall colors. And the garden tours are Wednesdays and Saturdays at 10.30. That's at Empire Mindstead Stork Park. These little 45-minute tours are led by knowledgeable guides, and they do not cost anything extra other over the cost of admission. In addition to the garden tours, we also have estate tours and mine yard tours. And all that information of what's available and when is on the website, from California State Parks. You can go to parks.ca.gov and then go to the link where it says visit a park and there's a whole list alphabetical and you can choose whatever park you're interested in visiting, whether it's Empire, South Yuba, or Malakoff Diggins. Some updates on trails at Empire Mine um, coming up. Uh, there will be some closures for a period of time on the Hard Rock Trail accessed from Penn Gate. I noticed today that there is a sign saying that there will be a closure while work is being done on the Hard Rock Trail and the area of the Sand Dam. And that closure will probably last a couple of weeks. Originally, it was planned to begin on Monday the 19th. It might be postponed, so... If there's no closure sign, you're welcome to um, access the Hard Rock Trail. But if there is a closure sign posted, we ask for your cooperation and to allow park staff to to do the work that they need to do so that we can get back and use that trail. Now, at Empire Mine, there's plenty of other trails to to explore, so that should be okay for a short period of time. Another trail update is at South Yuba River State Park. Again, starting Monday the 19th at Point Defiance at the upper part of Point Defiance Trail with the switchbacks and the top part will be closed while Parks does a replacement of a uh, pedestrian bridge. The lower part of Point Defiance Trail is still open. It's basically now, while the construction is underway, an out and back trail. And then Family Beach, right below the Bridgeport Covered Bridge, is also going to be closed for a period of time while they do some work to make it a safer and more available time. Also, beginning, I believe, September 19th, that's a big day for state parks, they're going to be tuning the Bridgeport Covered Bridge. So the bridge rights are going to be doing some adjustments that will make sure that that bridge is in good working order uh, since it was recently constructed. And this will be a regular maintenance activity that is done probably annually. So there will be some restrictions there at Family Beach while the bridge tuning is occurring, but it will only be for a few days. It shouldn't impact use very much at all. 
So again, that's kind of the big picture things for a walk in the park and Sierra Gold Parks Foundation. We are so happy to partner with our other nonprofits, the Bear Yuba Land Trust and South Yuba River Citizens League, and of course, our parent organization, um, California State Parks. It's a wonderful system of natural and historical and cultural lands that we get to benefit from. So it is our great pleasure to support California State Parks at our local state parks. So stay tuned. We'll talk to you next time. That's our newscast for this Monday, September 19th. You can listen to the extended version of A Walk in the Park on our webpage, kvmr.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sid Brown sits on the board of the Sierra Gold Parks Foundation and joins us every other week with news and updates from Nevada County's three state parks. Learn more at sierragoldparksfoundation.org. KVMR appreciates support from listeners like you and Wild Birds Unlimited, locally owned birder, nature, and gift store since 1999. Offering all things birds, bird feeding supplies, nesting boxes, bird baths, also nature-inspired gifts and more. Wild Birds Unlimited, Neal Street, Grass Valley, and Sierra Derm Center for Dermatology, specializing in general and cosmetic dermatology, skin cancer detection, and skin cancer removal for over 18 years. Located across from Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital, Grass Valley. New patient openings available. Information at sierraderm.com. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Join us Tuesday at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.